Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you're live streaming or live, I am Talbot Davis, the pastor here. Always, always glad to see you gathered together. And yeah, I'd love to see you on Wednesday at 5.30 for that signing thing. And just so you know, all the proceeds go to this church. They don't go to this guy. So uh, it's, it's all the way that the, the ministry blesses the congregation. We, uh, back to today, we're in the, the third Sunday of the series called That's Good News, but it's the fourth week on the calendar, and that's because last week we did this thing we don't ever do. We interrupted a series to promote a series that's coming in a couple of weeks all about relationships. Now we're back to doing what we normally do, which is finish the series on time. And so if you can, if your mind can resonate with it's the third Sunday of the series, but the fourth Sunday overall, it's okay. We'll, we will get there. Today's message is called the most dangerous thing. And it comes, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate in your Bible, the gospel of Matthew chapter 25, and then starting at verse 14. And maybe your Bible looks like mine. It kind of looks like a book, or maybe it's loaded on your phone. Uh, If it looks like mine, just open to Matthew 25 and go, you can look in the table of contents, that's okay. And if it's on your phone, scroll to Matthew What you may or may not know is that although the Bible looks like a book, this thing in my hand looks and feels like a book, this is not a book. It's a library, a collection of a lot of books. And when we're in the Gospel of Matthew, we're actually in the subsection of the library devoted to biography. It's one of the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And chapter 25 is, is Jesus slides in a little bit of autobiography in the biography, but you'll see what what that all means. And uh, if you don't have your Bible with you and it's not on your phone, uh, the words will be up on the screen when they need to be up on the screen. And we do all that because we don't believe the Bible is just not a book, but it is a library. We believe it's a library unlike any other on planet Earth. We believe God breathed his life into its words and he put his truth onto its pages. We believe in leadership here. You may be wrestling with this and that's okay. But in leadership, we just like to be honest with who we are and where we stand. We believe it is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction, we have this custom that when we talk about the Bible, we lift it up together. And again, if you're new and hadn't seen this before, you're like, this is strange. And, and we just answer by saying, yes, it is strange. But we have decided and realized and learned and experienced that this is a, a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we're a collection of people who have discovered together, we don't have life figured out, but we know God does. And actually, when it comes to the word, we know a lot of times by hard experience that when we think one thing and the word says something else, the word is right. And we're wrong. We're the ones who need to change. We don't change the word, amen? Because God knows what's best for us way better than we do. So that's, you didn't know, man, I'm saying all that when I lift up the Bible. Yeah, that's what you're saying when you lift up the Bible. And so before I say anything else, let's pray. God, thank you for this privilege you give me of standing and giving a message. And thank you for the joy that I get week after week after week of being able to say, I am powerless without you. But thank you that because of you, I'm never helpless. Send the helper, Holy Spirit of God, to fill me and everyone within the sound of my voice with everything that's good and right and joyful. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So if, uh, if I get a little bit, I don't know, keyed up, amped up today, uh, that's, that's because, it might, might be because it's been like three weeks since I've preached to you all. I got a little bit of pent up energy from, from that, but it's also because in a few moments, I'm gonna tell you for you the most dangerous thing you can do with the gospel. Isn't that great? We, we get to find out together the most dangerous, perilous, sketchy, scary thing that you can possibly do with the gospel. And when I say the gospel, I mean the good news that, that God wrapped himself up in a human body, that he was born as Jesus, that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, that he rose again three days later, that he's reigning right now, and that at some point in the future, he will return. All of that news is good, and all of those actions were done for all of us. That is the, the guts of the gospel, and it's all good news. And in just a few moments, you're going to be able to see what can I do with that really good news that is super scary, dangerous. Because we have kind of an interesting relationship with danger, don't we? I mean, a, a lot of us are kind of, uh, we, we, we can't find our, help but find ourselves but be attracted to danger. If we see something dangerous, something risky, we jump right into it. It's why some of you not only signed up for the military, you joined the Marines for crying out loud. That's why, why others of you, it's why you go rock climbing and and skydiving, and, and you actually do kickboxing with real people who will kick back, and that's why you go scuba diving. We, it, it's, why, it's why during pandemic, if, if we don't do all the dangerous things ourselves, we at least like to watch other people do dangerous things. That's why we watch tightrope walkers. That's why during pandemic, you tuned in to Tiger King. It's why we just love to see people sort of put it all on the line and take these great big risks and in, enter into dangerous situations. Now, now, to be fair, although we're attracted by a danger in, in a lot of cases, there's also some danger that, that I don't think many of us really take advantage of or enter into. Like, I don't think any of you, not a single one of you, not one of you has ever touched a downed power line and I know that none of you done it because all of you are here today. And, and, it, and it's why if you ever been to Florida and you're playing golf, which I don't do, but I hear this happen, you're playing golf and you, you hit it into a pond in Florida. None of you put on scuba diving gear to go find that golf ball in a Florida pond because that's just too dangerous. You don't, you don't do that. It, it, there's some danger that just repels us. We're, we're too wise for it. So we have this really interesting relationship with danger. It is attractional. It is repellent. It is all points in between. And whether it's Top Gun 1 or Top Gun 2, we really do have danger zone all around us. Do, do we not? And, and so today, with, with danger everywhere, Today, we come to the intersection of that danger that we feel so acutely and the gospel, the good news about Jesus who lived, died, rose, reigns, and is coming back. And we see that dangerous moment in what we have in our Bibles as Matthew chapter 25. Now, what you need to know 
in, as we get to Matthew 25 is that, is that Jesus in this section is in a run of stories that we know of as parables. And if you want to know what a parable is, it's really like the autobiography of God. It's a, it's a story that Jesus tells in which he says in so many words, here's what it's like to be me. Here's what I go through, people. Here's what it's like to be me. And so he's been telling story after story after story of what he's like, what his kingdom is like. And, and that's where we pick up the story within this run of parables. Matthew chapter 25 and verses 14 through 30 tells this story with some really unforgettable characters in it. Here's what he says. Again, verse 14. It will be like a man going, what will be like a man? And, and, and that's, well, my kingdom, Jesus is saying. Here's what it's like to be me. My, my kingdom and my return, here's, here's my autobiography sort of told in advance. It'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So this story deals with something that those of you who live in a steel Creek, North Carolina subdivision might have a little bit of familiarity with. It deals with an absentee owner. Only in this case, it's, it's not a house that the guy owns in a subdivision and sells to American homes for rent. Instead, it has to do with his own cash treasure. And you may not know this, but the ancient Roman Empire, which is, which is when Jesus told this story, and, he, and he, had an, he had an audience he's telling the story to, and it's not you. Jesus didn't tell the story to you. It was preserved for you but he's telling it to some people gathered around him on this day. It's very important to keep in, in the forefront of your mind. And, and, and in the ancient Roman empire that day, cash was a very rare commodity. And as you know, when, when something is rare, what you have of it becomes more and more valuable. So look at what the owner does with his cash. He called his servants together, last part of verse 14, and entrusted his wealth to them. And so uh, by entrusting it, that, that word entrusted tells us that whatever the face value of the gold coins that he's giving to his, his team here, it, it, their, their real value was even greater than that. So guy, master, he's going away on a journey and he decides to call his senior leadership team together. It's a management huddle. Don't y'all love it when you have management huddles at work? So he calls this team together and look what happens in verse 15. To one, that means one of his senior leadership staff, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one, to another one bag, each according to his ability. So you got three guys, you got a master, you got three guys, five bag guy, two bag guy, and one bag guy. They're all bag men. And so he gives them these bags of gold. And when it says there, each one according to his ability, that means he's giving them, he's, he's entrusting them with, with the gold based on how big a portfolio they were already managing. So five bag guy was already a high performer. Two bag guy in the middle and one bag guy was just normal average like most people. Then, then look at the last part of verse 15. Then he, the master, went on his journey. Now, as I mentioned earlier, 
Jesus is telling this story to living people, real life people. Matthew's there writing it down. And the purpose of a parable was for the, the people in the audience to see themselves in the characters. And you need to know that the people gathered around Jesus on that day, none of them saw themselves as the master because they weren't high rollers. They weren't money makers. They weren't trip takers. Most people never been farther than 10 miles from where they were born. So they didn't see themselves in the master. As the master, they saw themselves as the bagmen, and most particularly, most of the people gathered around Jesus, except for the very most confident among them, they would have seen themselves as one bag guy. Very lucky to have a job, thankful to be employed, going through life not to thrive, but just to survive. So look what happens next. Starting at verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put 16 and 17 and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. So five bag guy goes, gets his, his treasure, locates some blue chips, invests in them and voila, double your money. That's what he does. And then, and then two bag guy does the same thing. And two, of course, becomes four. So both of these guys had heard the mission from their master. You're here to not just to keep what you have, but to advance what you have, not to hoard, but to grow. And then it comes time for one bag guy, verse 18. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, don't be overly critical of one bad guy who buries the money because in ancient times, it was extraordinarily common for people to bury things they had that were of a great value. That's why even today, you have people go out and search for buried what? Treasure. It's like, we don't have a saying that, well, I'm going to go search for some treasure in trees. No, people buried their treasure. So what this guy does is entirely predictable. They didn't have bank buildings. They didn't have savings and loan. Enron didn't exist back then. So he didn't have a sure bet to put his money in. He buries his treasure. But apparently, evidently, this guy, one bad guy, he redefines the master's mission. He, he redefines the master's mission away from growing and towards keeping. He's not playing to win. He's just playing not to lose. And I don't know. Maybe some of you are that way in life. That if you have a, a choice between safety and risk, man, give me safety all day long. If you have a, a choice between keeping, protecting, and advancing, man, I'm going to be a protector and a, and, a, and a keeper. And this is so much, I think, my natural wiring. I have the same thing for lunch every day. <laughs> every single day. The, the only variation in my lunch menu is if I don't have lunch. Every do you know what a chore I am to live with every day? That book, How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk, Julie wished she'd found it a long time ago. Every day. I'm so much about keeping predictability and routine. And maybe you're that way. And maybe in particular, 
when it comes to the, the gospel? Tell, if you've said yes to Jesus, and I don't know who among you has already said yes to Jesus, I'm assuming it's a good chunk of you. If you haven't yet, so delighted that you are here today, and you'll just be overhearing some of how people who say, have said yes to Jesus talk to each other, but, but if, if you have said yes to Jesus, yet yeah, maybe you're one of those people and, and, and you, you believe, well, religion is a private matter. I don't want to talk about it. Or maybe you're one of those people at work, my goodness, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to bring religion or faith or Jesus in, in, into any conversations at work. And, and, and they, it's, in the, it's in the employee policy manual and I, just, I don't want to risk. So I'm all about keeping, I'm all about protecting. And again, it's you, it's one bad guy and it makes perfect sense because this guy, he's not playing to win. He's just playing not to lose. No harm, no foul, no problem. And all of a sudden, it's like, Jerusalem, we got a problem. Because look what happens when the master comes back home. That starts at verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Verse 20. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Well, welcome to the land of exceeds expectations, sir. This guy comes back for his annual review and his boss sees what he's done and he's at five, 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 five. This guy exceeds expectations. I'm happy He's going to share in my happiness. And then it's time for two bag guy. Look what happens when he returns. Verse 22. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. In verse, verse 23, you're going you're gonna to see a, a repetition here. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So he may not get all fives. There may be a four or two mixed in with his annual review, but all in all, this guy gets a nice raise. He's probably going to get a promotion. He also is living in that land of exceeds expectations. So that's five bad guy. That's two bad guy. How? What happens to one bad guy. How does Jesus summarize his story? And the answer is violently. Because look what happens next in verse, in verse 24. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what is belongs to you. See, this guy has redefined unilaterally, redefined the master's mission away from advancing and towards keeping, away from sharing and towards hoarding. And how does the master, how does Jesus respond when people redefine what he's reinforced? It's kind of scary because look what happens at verse 26. And, and remember, as I'm reading verse 26 and following, 
Everyone hearing Jesus tells the, tell the story identified with one bad guy. That, that's the guy that they have the most in common with. And what does Jesus say? His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, one bad guy, and give it to the one who has 10. Forever, who has 10 bags, forever, forever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What? Remember, everyone hearing Jesus tell the story would have identified with one bad guy and they wouldn't have thought he was wicked, just mediocre. They wouldn't have thought he was a sinner, just average. And so when they hear what happens to average Joe and Jesus drops the mic at the end of the story, everyone around him on that evening when he's talking must have had a pit in the, in the must have had the, this deep pit in their stomach. Oh my gosh, what in the world is he saying? And do you know what Jesus is saying in this, in this autobiography in, in which by and large, the master is Jesus and the treasure is the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And, and the servants are all those people who've said yes to the gospel. Do you know what he's saying? The most dangerous thing that you can do with the gospel is nothing. The most for everybody who has ever said yes to Jesus and taken that good news that you are more broken than you ever realized, but you are so loved, you're in a better position than you could ever earn. The most dangerous thing that you could ever do with that precious treasure that is the gospel is to do nothing with it. The most dangerous thing that you or me or anyone around could ever do with the gospel is nothing. Years ago, another church, another town, I, a friend and I in that church, we, we started going out and knocking on doors and inviting people to church. We found, we'd find out the new movers in that rural area and we'd go to, their, go to their homes and we'd knock on the door and give them a card and an in invitation to church. It was really the forerunner of what we have at Good Shepherd called Bless This House. The only thing we missed in those days in the 90s was we weren't yet giving out the world famous refrigerator magnet that I know a lot of you have, have received. And anyway, so a friend and I, we, we were doing this, this ministry, knocking on doors and inviting people to church. And, and, and the word got out that this is what we were doing. And one of the, one of the, one Sunday, one of the elders, pillars, seat takers, the church pulled me aside and he, and he said, you don't want to be doing that. And I was like, really? Why not? And he said, you might bring in the wrong kind of people. And I thought, but did not say, you mean like you? <laughs> we, we kept knocking on doors and kept 
grow in that church, praise the Lord. And, and that guy kept taking his seat and don't sit in his seat, please. The most dangerous thing that you can do with the gospel is to do nothing with the gospel. And when I say that, based on the words of the story, the most dangerous thing you can do with the gospel is nothing. Yeah, I'm talking to people, maybe even within the sound of my voice in this room or live streaming, who have decided religion is a private matter. And, and I don't want to share with anyone else what is a, a private, it's just me and Jesus. No, it's not. It's you and Jesus and everybody else. I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people who have such a fear of rejection. Well, what if they don't want to hear what I have to say about what Jesus has done with my life? What if they don't want to know or don't want to hear that I used to be in a rehab and I spent time in jail, but now I am sober and now I am sa- Why would anybody not want to hear that? Or by the same token, what if they don't want to, you're like, what if they don't want to hear that I grew up in church and because I grew up in church, my parents loved me well. I lived a life not having to manage crises, but avoiding them altogether. You think people wouldn't want to hear that? And so your fear of rejection outweighs your anticipation of acceptance. Have you ever thought maybe the person that you're too scared to talk to needs nothing more, wants nothing more than to know why you're so different from everybody else they know? And I'm speaking, I'm speaking to those pastors and, and, and professors who, who kind of this kind of different angle to the conversation, but, but those pastors and and, and professors of religion and Bible and stuff. And, and, and they've said things like, well, whole idea of judgment, that's kind of offensive to people. And we don't want to offend people. And so they have redefined God's wrath out of God's nature and decided unilaterally, well, everybody's saved. Love wins in the end. Everybody's saved in the end. So why do we need to tell them about Jesus who's saving everybody, even people who don't want to be saved? What a load of baloney. When you redefine what Jesus has reinforced, it's very, very dangerous indeed. And the most dangerous thing you can do with the gospel is to do nothing with it. When I say that, yeah, yeah, I'm talking to those people. Maybe with, again, within the sound of my voice, I am talking in part to those people who have had the gospel shared with them and decided either because of uninterest or unbelief or stubbornness or inconvenience. Now, I don't, I don't really believe that. I can't believe that now. Probably can't believe that ever. And so, yeah, I want you to respond to the gospel because it's not bad news. It is good news. It is the best news. And I don't want you to die in that unbelief. But really, for the purposes of this message, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking again, and in particular, pe- to people who have said yes to Jesus and have opted for whatever reason, fear of rejection or lack of confidence, and you have decided to start hoarding the news that you're supposed to be sharing. But have you ever thought of it this way? If you're a Christian today, The only reason that you're a Christian is because there was someone in your path who didn't do nothing with the gospel. You you, you got that? We got got a do nothing gospel. 
But if you're a Christian today, it is because somewhere along the way, there was a friend, there was a Sunday school teacher, there was a mom, there was a dad, there was even a brother or a sister, and they didn't do nothing with the gospel. They, in fact, shared the gospel with you in a way that you were persuaded, and you said yes to Jesus, and you have assurance of your eternity. Yeah, there was somebody in your path who didn't do nothing. In fact, we've got one more thing we're going to do at the very end, but I'm going to... I'm going to pause it right here. I'm going to open up the floor for just a moment. And if you, because you're thinking of that person and maybe it was a mom or a dad, or maybe it was a pastor, or maybe it was a friend. And, and I just, from your seat, I just want you to call out that name of the person who didn't do nothing with the gospel. And since I knew we were going to do this, I had a, like a, a, a weak head start on you. Then I'm going to go ahead and I'll just give my name. His name is Philip Chalk. Who has a name you want to share from your seat? Connie Clutteray. Mr. Silverman, I heard. Jen and John Wood, all right. No, and Ron, pastor somebody back there. Holler, yes, praise the Lord. Barrow. Ella Bennett, yes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, keep, keep going. Great, excellent, excellent. Excellent. Steve Vomir, excellent. Mr. Delacour, excellent. Lead staff, I think I heard. Yeah, okay. Christine Laughlin. Yes. Hey, won't it be great? Won't it be great when some church somewhere, maybe even this one, 10 years from now, does that same thing? <laughs> and you're the name that gets spoken from the seat. The most dangerous thing you can do with the gospel is nothing. We're going to do something with the gospel together. Y'all been great about this the first couple of weeks of the series. Go ahead and take out your, your phone, your mobile device. Yes, a pastor during a message wants you on your phone. And open it up and, and open up an app. And for some of you, it's Facebook. And others might be Twitter or X or Instagram. And those of you who've said yes to Jesus, we just want you to do something very simple over these next moments. We're going to put it up on the screen. If you could put it up on the screen, uh, on your social media. I'm a Christian today because blank shared the gospel with me. And then hashtag it, that's good news. We have been flooding social media, which has usually flooded with such bad news. We've been flooding it with good news over the last several Sundays. I'm a Christian today because blank. Go ahead and do that now. Share the gospel with me. Hashtag good news. You can even tag Good Shepherd Church if you'd like. Very good. And if you're like me, you do this stuff on desktop, not on your app. Wait, wait, my, okay. Go ahead and do it when you, do it when you get home. Do it when you get home. Hey, I'm going to pray. You keep filling that out. And then our band has a gift for you before we close. So Father, thank you that your word is clear and the gospel is not to be buried. We don't want to bury the gospel in a big pile of nothing. We want to share it, grow it, and advance it. Do that now in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.